Central Illinois schools, businesses pivot amid growing COVID cases. Central Illinois law enforcement agencies balance protecting information and privacy with allowing public transparency over radio communications. I'm Sierra Henry. And I'm Tim Egger. And this is Lee Enterprises Long Story Short. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we recap Central Illinois news from Lee Enterprises journalists. I'm so glad to be back again after last week's break. Unfortunately, our host, Kelsey, is out of the office enjoying her birthday. Happy birthday, Kels. But fear not, today I'm being joined by our Bloomington City Government reporter, Tim Eggert, who has been on the show a few times, if you may remember. Hey, Sierra, it's good to see you again. Glad to be back. Um, got some big shoes to fill, so hopefully I do a good job. Yeah, thanks again for joining us on the pod. It's always great to have you. Um, All right, before we jump into our local news coverage, let's talk about some updates coming out of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention this week. First, on Tuesday, the CDC announced that people living in regions where coronavirus infection rates are growing should wear face coverings again, regardless of vaccination status. This, of course, has caused ripples as as schools begin preparation for the return of in-person classes, with many school districts and universities pivoting to reinstate mask mandates. And in response to growing infection, rates in central Illinois, we asked our community members what they think about the CDC reinstating these guidelines. Health reporter Lindsay Jones and reporter Olivia Jacobs took to the streets to talk with people about the issue and more. We also have updates from local health departments, universities, school districts, and more about how these guidelines are changing their day-to-day operations. So be sure you keep up with us at panagraph.com herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com to get the latest information. These guidelines are changing quickly, but we're working really hard to keep everyone informed. So with that, we're going to move into our regular local coverage, and Sierra, tell me what's going on in the business world. So, electric vehicle maker Rivian is coming off a wave of announcements over new projects and expansions. The company said last week it plans to build a second assembly plant somewhere in the United States, we don't really know, and that location hasn't been identified. But St. Louis Post-Dispatch reporter Kurt Erickson wrote this week that Missouri economic development officials think the state would be a competitive location for the plant. Reporter Kate Heather also reported last week that Rivian has secured another $2.5 billion and private funding from investors. All this news comes as Rivian has had to delay twice its delivery of its flagship pickup truck, the R1T. And of course, all this news came out while I was gone. <laughs> so you love to see that. I was I was not happy. I was not thrilled to be on vacation and seeing all of this news happening without me being able to report on it. But very exciting stuff for, for Rivian. Um, Along similar veins, uh, North America Lighting plans to consolidate its production of replacement service lamps. I guess it's not really along the same lines, but I mean, they're moving into the Mattoon. Um, A new factory is scheduled to open in Mattoon this October. Uh, JG Hype and TC reporter Rob Stroud writes that the move comes the same week as the company announced it would open the new factory in Coles County. Hiring will start this fall and total employment will reach 75 to 100 people in 2022. And that's pretty exciting for Mattoon. I know that they had some um, big names move out of the the area. They had a paper production facility. I think it was a paper production facility move out. So that's pretty exciting stuff. Okay, Tim, uh, what's going on with the Bloomington City Council? So the city of Bloomington is fielding applications to fill a vacancy on the city council created by the pending resignation of current Ward 6 alderperson Jen Cadillo. Uh, I, I broke this news last week that Cadillo is um, 
going to be walking away from the council after they were forced to move out of Ward 6. They had said that the apartment they've been living in was sold and they were unable to find another place to live within the ward. So now the city is trying to fill that vacancy. Um, you have to be a resident of Ward 6. There's some other provisions, but if you're interested in the seat, uh, you must apply by August 13th. Some other government news. Lee Enterprises state government reporter Brendan Moore sat down with Illinois Congressman Adam Kinzinger last week to chat about Kinzinger's place in the Republican Party, his future as a political actor, and more. It's honestly one of the deepest, most comprehensive profiles of Kinzinger that I've ever read, and it came just in time, too, because Kinzinger made his debut this week on the House and Senate Select Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol insurrection. So, speaking of other deep dives from Brendan, what else has he looked into, Sierra? Well, as we talked about earlier, the incredibly contagious Delta variant strain of COVID-19 is spreading rapidly throughout the country, and Illinois is not being spared. This week, Brendan took a look at possible spillover effects as cities like Springfield, Missouri hit an all-time high for hospitalizations. Vaccination rates are much lower in Missouri, and with cities such as St. Louis right at the Illinois border, Brendan wrote that certain regions of Illinois that share a border with Missouri are reporting higher rates of infection than in other parts of the state. This, of course, is worrisome for many state leaders, and earlier this week, Governor J.B. Pritzker stepped in line with the CDC to urge all residents to mask up, regardless of vaccination status. For the full data analysis and more, check out Brendan's story at any of our three sites, jg-tc.com, herald-review.com, or panagraph.com. Okay, taking a step back from COVID-related news for a moment, health reporter Lindsay Jones this week wrote about why central Illinois skies appear a little hazier than normal, even without a cloud in sight. Wildfires in the central and western United States and Canada have long been an issue, but this year is the duration of such fires. The effects have worsened allergies for some, but the most stunning are the vibrant sunsets and hazy skies hanging over the central Illinois region. If you've seen a red sun or a red moon lately, this explains it. The smoke, thankfully, has remained about at the 10,000-foot level, but while Bloomington Normal has received a good air quality index, Decatur and Mattoon areas have been reported as moderate. So people who are sensitive to poor air conditions or fine particulate matter might feel the difference in those areas. Lindsay goes into further detail about these fires, the reasoning behind them, and what it means for Central Illinois. Again, we highly recommend checking out the full story, which can be found at any of our three websites, jg-tc.com, herald-review.com, or pantograph.com. Moving into some education news, schools are ready to see kids back inside the classroom this fall, but another hurdle remains for many districts in Central Illinois bus drivers. I believe we touched on this months ago on the pod, but Valerie Wells and Kelsey Watsonauer really dove deep into the issue and why schools are having such a hard time filling these crucial positions. Like many other industries, superintendents are saying COVID-19 has worsened the problem. Some central Illinois schools are also having issues filling teacher positions, Valerie wrote. Kelsey and Valerie spoke with superintendents across central Illinois, so if you want to know more about how they're planning to address these shortages to prepare for this fall, check out the story at pantograph.com and herald-review.com. And next month, Millican University is partnering with the Macon County Health Department to host three COVID-19 vaccine clinics on the university's campus. The clinics are free and open to the public, and they will offer the first injection of the Pfizer vaccine as well as the Johnson & Johnson one-dose vaccine. People can sign up by appointment online with a required consent form. 
Find Donette back at story at herald-review.com for more information on the clinics and where to sign up. All right, it's time for everyone's favorite section of the podcast, and that is sports. And unfortunately, Kelsey is not here this week to talk about another Kofi Cokeburn story, but it is the Olympics, if you didn't know. And as of recording, the United States has had 38 medals. 38 medals, and we are so proud of this country. Woo! That being said, we have some other stories to get to other than the Olympics. Um, if you want to like check out our Olympic coverage, we have columns, stories, more, a lot about Simone Biles. Actually, Randy Kindred did write a really good um, column about Simone's decision to step back for her mental health. I read it. It was really good. I, I appreciate um, Randy's um, take on that story as I've seen a lot of poor... Um, opinions in my in my opinion poor opinions on on the issue um but all of that and more at gg-tc.com herald-review.com and pantograph.com okay uh lee enterprises illini reporter james boyd broke down the potential picks and teams for where Ayo Dasunmu could land in Thursday's 2021 NBA draft. Uh, the point guard crafted a legacy at the University of Illinois, leading the team to its first Big Ten announcement or first Big Ten tournament championship since 2005, and a number one seed in the NCAA tournament in the 2020-21 season. Um, you can find that story. Uh, I think both the pantograph.com and herald-review.com if you want to check out uh, more on um, Ayo Desumu. We also have just a lot of coverage of him and Kofi Cokebird, who was in the draft but um, is now going back to um, play for the university to I, improve his draft stock, I think is what he said in the last story. Um, all that and more find it on our website. Okay, some local sports. So Ryan Blackerby returned to Mattoon this week as an assistant coach for South Lexington, Kentucky's baseball team during an 11-under tournament. Uh, This is a big deal because the last time Blackerby was in Mattoon, it was in 1996, and he was playing in an 11-under title game. So 25 years later, he's returned, and uh, Rob Stroud sat down with him. He interviewed him. Uh, another point on this, Blackerby and his teammates during that game in 1996 defeated Mattoon. So kind of a big deal, a little bittersweet. Go check out Rob Stroud's interview at jg-tc.com. That's kind of cute story, though. <laughs> the, wait, but he's not from Mattoon, right? So he he's from Kentucky? You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> Anyways, it was a really cool story. I think that um, that was a great find for Rob, and it was, it was fun, fun story. Um, Tim's also going to kick us off with some courts and public safety-related news. Okay, so a not-so-fun story. Um, this is something I covered this week. A series of really wild accidents on Interstate 55 in the stretch north of Atlanta and south of Shirley resulted in the death of a man from southern Illinois. So the first crash involved a semi-trailer overturning on a bridge after it collided with two vehicles. And then traffic stalled from that accident, and that bottleneck led to another crash. In this crash, a semi-trailer was slowing down when it was struck by a tanker trailer truck, and the driver of the tanker was pronounced deceased on the scene by the McLean County coroner. 
Down in Decatur, the widow of the Champaign police officer who died in a May shooting has started a nonprofit organization called Peacemaker Project 703. The officer, Chris Oberheim, started his law enforcement career in Decatur, and Herald and Review reporter Tony Reed wrote that the project aims to proactively support law enforcement officers and their families through community outreach, reform, and education. And you can find that story and more about the nonprofit and its mission at uh, herald-review.com. And some more public safety-related news. Panagraph reporter Kate Heather detailed an ongoing issue in McLean County public safety involving public access to police scanners. At the heart of this topic and Kate's story is a balance between the safety of law enforcement and transparency for the public that has been ongoing since 2020. The scanners are encrypted, meaning citizens can't listen in on communications between different law enforcement agencies. To police, that means they can protect the identity of victims and their method of policing. But to community members, the encrypted radios mean they cannot monitor what authorities are doing to protect people. This whole conversation takes on a new level of meaning in a time when police accountability is at an all-time high. It's an essential story that you should definitely read at panagraph.com. Back with some fun news. <laughs> um, in our community news this week, Donna Beckett featured a small community radio station that has been serving the Decatur and Macon County area with programming and outreach for the last four years. WILLULP 107.9, also known as Love Life Community Radio, is a nonprofit radio station that is hoping to expand its reach. Their programming consists of positive messages to promote community events and people living in the area. We thought this was a great little story to feature, and the station is trying to drum up some support with a fundraising goal of $270,000 to move its station into a building that can hold more community events. Uh, to read more about the station, you can find Donette's story at Harold Herald-Review.com. Um, real quick, or I guess not real quick, because I'm about to talk about this for a while, but um, we're going to end today's podcast talking about some renovations that have gone on at the McLean County Museum of History. Um, in the last couple weeks, I took a really huge deep dive into the, the history of the local history museum, which was um, which is now inside the former county courthouse. It was actually the county's fourth courthouse. I did not know this. They had two prior courthouses and then the third one burnt down. Uh, Not completely, but it was was pretty destroyed. And um, that was in 1903. And the museum moved into the the courthouse in, in the 90s when the county was like, moving into their new government center and they had actually tried to tear it down twice um, but they decided not to and they let the uh, McLean County Historical Society move in with their collection and there's just been a lot going on so I wanted to talk with the executive director Julie Emig and executive director emeritus Greg Coos about everything that they've been doing so they've restore the light fixtures they actually look really really cool and they have these led edison bulbs that have made the museum so much brighter than what it was um, previously it's really beautiful they've also done like an over six hundred thousand dollar um roof repair so it's just really exciting to see the museum um do these renovation projects and maintain this building that has really been a um community gathering place like we have 
community events out on the lawn, the farmers markets around the square, people go there for protests, rallies, and more. And it's been that way for pretty much the entire century that it's been built. So if you want to read more about the history of the History Museum, check out my story at panagraph.com. Um, it was just posted Thursday and uh, we got some photos of some of the bathrooms and lighting fixtures and, and all of that. So yeah, really exciting stuff. Um, do you want to Love anything? the History Museum. Yeah. If you haven't visited the History Museum, uh, check it out. So that's going to do it for us today, folks. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast and our reporting, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. While you're at it, head on over to Pantograph.com, Herald-Review.com, and JG-TC.com to look up subscription information and consider supporting hashtag local journalism.